The I Am Independent podcast with Loretta and Bianca. Stories, advice and discussions to resource, encourage and support independent music artists. Welcome to the I Am Independent podcast. As you know, we love to give you insights to how different artists do things differently. As you know by now, there is no one set way of approaching the path of an independent artist and certainly there's no formula. Well, our guest today is what I would describe as a true artist. And what I mean by that is music literally seems to run through her veins. Whatever uh, instrument she picks up, she manages to learn super quickly. She hears music in colors, literally should be telling us more about that she started off as a composer and her day job if you like is as a film and tv composer but then branched out of her comfort zone into being an artist in her own right picking up the guitar and singing in front of people for the first time as well her name is Vanessa Ferrero she is half from Yorkshire half from Colombia, a very interesting mix and an extremely interesting and inspiring young lady as well. Have a listen and of course as always we'll tell you how you can listen to her new music which is on the way. Enjoy. So today on the I Am Independent podcast, as you know we like to bring you stories from different artists Um, There's no right or wrong way of doing things as we're always telling you, but it's always inspiring and insightful to hear from artists that are are doing things differently. And today we're chatting to Vanessa Ferrero, who is an artist in her own right. We're going to talk about her music, but also her day job, if you like, although it's usually a night job for her. Talk about that in a minute. Um, She is a composer. Um, music runs through her veins and she's been an inspiration to me and uh, she's also just come back from a literal journey as well as a kind of metaphorical one I suppose in many ways uh, to discover her roots a bit more in Colombia she's half Yorkshire <laughs> What do you call Yorkshire York? Terrier? Yorkshire Terrier. <laughs> she is a Yorkshire Terrier. Um, and um, yeah, so we thought we'd have a chat and hear from her a bit more. So welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank <laughs> you. Thank you. So yeah, I mean, I was trying to describe your background. Just tell us a little bit about your background of where you're from. Um, uh, geographically, musically. Yeah, too. like your parents. Yeah, and born in Bradford in Yorkshire. The uh, coal mining wool industry town, very kind of working class, lots of sheep, uh, but with a Colombian mum who was very wild and very, very not Yorkshire. So we grew eating Colombian food and everything. Um, so I was a mix of two, never felt like I belonged to one. Um, and then moved to London for a few years, which is where I met you, and then to Brighton, and then just the last year in Colombia. And now I feel so disorientated, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere next <laughs> now we met through musician friends mutual yeah. musician friends and um uh, straight away hit it off and became friends yeah. we also worked together in a management capacity yeah. for a while uh, and one of the things that's always struck me is how musical you are which sounds like such <laughs> an understatement whenever I describe you to people I just say that you just like music just run through you I know you see music in colors don't you when you hear it and you're the first but per- I've met one person since I've met you who also does that who literally sees colors when they um, hear music which uh, always fascinated me but um, 
just tell us a bit about how you started in music because it was a really important part of your childhood, wasn't it? Yeah, and and I always do struggle with the question when people say, how did you begin in music? I'm like, well, how did you begin to be human? It felt like a bit for me. I didn't ever, or like learning to talk, you just start talking because it's your environment. And I always had a piano there and my thing is that I didn't talk much. So the piano was way easier for me to, to express something. So I just learned on that really. I didn't choose it. I just start. That's just my way of being. I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to put up a shelf. But I just I can be on the piano because it's my way of breathing. And then I've just been super lucky enough to have had that as a way to bring in income, and as well to do hobby music projects where I can be with other musicians and have community with it as well. So my but you were telling me your your parents did force you to have music lessons, oh, didn't they? Oh, when it came to that, yeah. So music like my own self expression on the piano was one thing, but. I think that can only get you so far. And so my parents did say, come on, you've got to learn the proper way. And uh, it's almost like being born with your own weird dialect. And then people say, no, this, you know, pronounce this word like this. Or, you know, there's more vocabulary. So they got me some lessons uh, in the formal way, classical associated board. And I did not like it. And it was a theory that really, really was difficult. And, and my ears were already advanced because I'd been playing along on my own that I just had no time to read these little dots on the page because my ears were wanting to go off on their own. And so I just never grew, I don't know whether it's the character or my brain wiring that just wasn't very good at doing the, the that kind of things. I couldn't even pass my grade four exam, but I was playing grade eight pieces. So to get into university, I played the pieces, but I didn't have the papers. And wow. when I got to university as well, I didn't show up to my exams, a lot of them, because I thought, I don't need that, I don't need that. But I do want to learn about melody in the library. So I would just sometimes skip exams to just go pick up the tools that I needed because Papers, grades and stuff, I for me it's just like... So you did a, your degree was a music degree though? It was a composition degree, yeah. So um, I was going to do architecture, but then I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I thought, oh no, I'll do composition because uh, I had a lot of music in my head that would just swim around at night time and I couldn't get it out with my hands because I didn't do my theory homework, did I? So I was like, oh no, I think I might actually need a little bit of help. So I went there to try and help me get the music connected from my head to my hand, which didn't actually do much good. It wasn't a particularly good course. Uh, so I I think, you know, they, they did exams like the history of the tape recorder. And I'm like, I'm not going to go to that. I'm not going to waste my time on that. So what I did instead was go to the Northern Film School where people were making movies for the first time. And I knew I wanted to do music for picture in that time. And I just went down and I said, I have no idea how to score a film, but I just spent my student loan on a, on a, an iMac at the time. And then, I can't remember, in a bit of software, east-west strings it was, in a little keyboard. Can anyone just give me a bit of experience? Uh, and so that's where I put my time and I would score a few films for those interesting films. Oh gosh, some really bad ones. But some of them, those people then went off to have their own film companies and then ended up taking me along with them. And so for me, that's that was my time well spent. And, um, that's so interesting. So really, in a sense, what you're saying is you could have done without the degree. The degree didn't actually help you. But yeah. the connections with film students was really more valuable in that, that time. Exactly, yeah. And I just went there to... I was like, I was in a garden. I was looking at what fruit I wanted and what to pick and then I'd leave the rest. But then I realised I couldn't do that because after the first year, when the teachers were like, why are you not turning up to this? Why are you not doing that homework? You can't actually get to the second year without doing this. So I was like, oops. So the teachers are all like, why is your first year so bad and your second year so good? Because I was like, oh, I have to even it out. Um, yeah. So did you actually fail the degree? Or you just... I almost failed my first year, um, which is why then they pulled me in and said, 
if you don't pass, you, you it's, I, I can't remember if, if it was difficult to get to the next round or something. I can't remember. I think you do have to do you, the work. That's it. <laughs> so then practically, I was like, oh, right. Okay. So I do, I, for that reason, I'll work a bit harder. And so I remember the second year actually doing everything I was told and, and all the teachers were like, we don't understand. Why can you actually do it? But you just didn't. And I was like, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I remember at one point they, um, I think one of the, one of the first projects was just write a piece of music about anything at all. Oh, great! So I wrote a piece of music on the wind, I think, and and I was really melody focused because I just think that's where there's so much life in melody rather than conceptually focused, which is what they like in university. So there was only three composers, and the first two handed in saying, "I wrote a piece of music based on the London Underground." So I took the letters from the word Piccadilly, which on a keyboard we've got an A, we've got a C, we've got, and I'm just listening to this, thinking this ain't music. It's not sound based. It's all theory based. But anyway, they did their project, and the teachers flipping loved it. And then I came along, and I was like, "No concept. I just like sound." And they were like, "No, that's not good enough. You're not gonna no." And they just gave me a really low mark. So I was so angry at that, that the next day when they told us to write our next composition, I decided to spend no time on it and to start when I was on the bus from Bradford going to Leeds. And so I wrote this one called Unidentified Personality, which was trying to represent how schizophrenic it was because every bar was different. It was not musical. It was just me doing musical gymnastics, theoretical gymnastics. And I just wrote this like... But I wrote out an, a brilliant concept for it about schizophrenia and about how this represents the, the mind and you've got no theme and all of that. And they gave me the highest mark <laughs> and they showed it to the rest of the class wow. and all of that. And I'm like, oh, Did you gosh. tell them what you'd done? I, don't, I can't remember now. So how did that make you feel about how music is taught and what people, because obviously, and we'll come on to it, you've had a very successful career composing music you love music and yet here are the teachers telling you well that's a fail if you do it that way and this is how you pass how does that make you feel about music because music's not to be constrained is it yet we understand why we have notes because that's so we can interpret it so people can play it how how has that affected how you went forward in your career well for me it, I couldn't be like the other composers that were like that. But, you know, they did teach me a lot in just really breaking boundaries. And 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 sometimes sound has got boundaries because you're raised with listening to certain music and so you've got your own limitations because you've got your own palettes. And so for those composers, I did think, oh, right, what if I just throw it out there and just create a piece of music based on that? You know, like David Bowie did, he would you know, pick that word or pick that sound and just force himself to create something new. So actually, I did get some new doors into new things there. But it did help me feel more confirmed that sound is important. That's what we connect to the most. And what confirmed it most is that 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 degree was split between composers and performers. Sometimes the performers got to play what the composers wrote, but only the ones that the teachers liked. My pieces were never played, obviously. <laughs> but the two other composers who wrote these crazy, like, unique, uh, conceptual pieces, they, they had the orchestra playing, and my friends that were in the orchestra were like, we hate this, nobody's listening, it's just... Uh. And then when they got to play, like, a piece that everyone knows, it's got a melody, it's got a tune, it's got harmony, people are being moved by it, people connect, and the orchestra loves it. Um... And I think, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I feel really bad to say this, but I think I'm the only one out of those composers that end up actually doing composition for a job. That's interesting. And, yeah, and the other ones haven't, because I just think people want music, they mm. just want good music, they don't care what it means or represents or the concept, 
Um, I know someone will really beat me down for that because I know when you go to art galleries and you've got your little plaque there and there's a blank wall and you're meant to feel moved by it and stuff, I know, fine, that's a whole other thing. But for me, I'm more in the race of humans that have got emotions and ears and, and like to feel uplifted and joy and sometimes like to feel sad and accompanied in that with a tune that goes with that. And for me, especially with picture, that's just a really human place when you've got a movie that's telling a story uh, and then you get to be, as the composer, the emotional narrative because you, you can put that with actors to some extent, but the music is just like the soul connection and, and, you, and when you get a picture, you can make it into so many things because... It's, more, it's just so powerful, more powerful than visuals because you've got a visual and then you put some scary music and suddenly you start seeing all the dark sides of the character and or something's going to happen and you get suspicious. So or is that you, what attracted you to wanting to do film composition in particular? I, th- I think, it, yeah, it's always been, it's interested me, but my thing was like, I couldn't help it. When I was a kid, I was just inventing stories in my head and because I didn't speak much, I'd play it out on the piano. So I think I think my first was about an alien because I'd watched E.T. for the first time. And I was like, oh, I want to pretend I've got an alien friend. And so I wrote a story in my head and then I sat on the piano and then that's I tried learning notation there. It wasn't very good, but I did a bit and I've, my parents have still got it. I think it's called My First Encounter. I thought encounter is a really long word and you can see me. I can't, I can't spell the word encounter, <laughs> but, but I've got these blobs of musical notes. And, um, and that's what I've always done, just written stories on the piano. And so when I heard that there was a job that people do that and and weirdly enough I didn't actually think I could do it as a job until I saw a female composer and that's a whole other subject because yeah. I'd always admired there's very few aren't there few, female yeah. composers yeah and, it, and especially in the film world there was it's Rachel Portman she's called and I'd always been inspired by John Williams who wrote all the Spielberg films and Thomas Newman um, and before that obviously Debussy Grieg and all the big greats are all male composers so I was just observing it admiring it but never clicked that I could actually do it until I saw Rachel Portman who's a mum and she works at home and she writes these really cute piano pieces and then sometimes these gypsy jazz pieces and all kinds of things and she's doing it for a job and I was like all right and that's when I actually switched from my courses from architecture to music because I thought well maybe I should consider it as a job rather than just my life source because it it was just what I did it's not what I was choosing I just Mm. did it and so when people say, how do you be a composer? I'm like, do you like composing? Yeah, well, compose. <laughs> Why do you need a job? Just compose. But you so clearly had a, a natural talent, though. It's almost like you couldn't have been anything else. Yeah. But how quickly after university did you start to make a career and a, a living out of um, composing? It was, yeah, it's actually quite connected with, with the university when I was doing, when I walked into the film schools. Um, because that is where I'd started building my showreels. So some of those, oh gosh, the first few films were so bad. The music's just appalling because I was learning the studio. That's a whole other tool. The piano always sounds nice, you know, if you play it, you know, gently enough, it sounds nice. But when you get in the studio for the first time and you try and play that synthetic string line that's like, meh, meh, <laughs> and trying to produce was a whole other thing. But the more I, I did it, I, I learned. YouTube videos were my university. So many people have got like production degrees and music tech degrees. I was like just using my ears and YouTube. <laughs> and somehow I've managed to do this job for 15 years and I'm so appreciative. And I get a lot of composers and producers looking at me saying, Why have you done it that way? I'm like, I don't know. No one's taught me. I'm just doing my own thing. And sometimes I'm so grateful for some composers say, There's the shortcut. I'm like, Oh. <laughs> so there's a lot of downfalls, but I'm also really impatient. So I just got on with just trying to learn the studio like that. And then um, some of the pieces ended up being quite good. So I put them on a little website. Uh, or maybe it was just a SoundCloud. 
And then I got like one of my first phone calls um, from, I think it was an auntie of an auntie who had seen that I'd started composing and put my first piece up. And they, they were starting up an advertising company. And they said, we've just started up and we really liked what you did with the strings there. We've just had a new Audi advert, it was. Um, it's um, We just like to just get a bunch of composers on it to see how you fit with it, how it's like, do you want to give it a go? So that was my first job. Uh, and I called the piece Dark Angels. And it was all very dark and moody and I loved doing it. I'd never. That was the first time, I don't know, I just remember feeling on a high like, this is actually a job and I've got a picture and it's 30 seconds and I have to fill it with this information and this drama. Uh, I spent ages and I didn't sleep. And then after that, they really liked me and they kept me on their team of composers and I kept working for those guys. And then eventually some people saw the adverts that I did with those guys and then were like, who did the music for that? And then found me and then rang me. And I actually, yep, I don't think ever since that day, I've never actually gone out and got work. And it wow. just, the phone just rings on. on and, and you've been doing this for 15 years 15 now. 15 years, yeah. Amazing. And sometimes it doesn't ring for many months, but for me, I, I go on my little spiritual side there and think, okay, well, that means that I'm meant to start a project from some like um I don't know a, a new book or an, an album that isn't going to make me money straight away but I'll just got to raise it I've got to raise a new kid and then I'll put it out and maybe down the line it'll give me something back maybe not but I just see that as if the window. If there is anyone listening who's um female wants to be a producer or a, a composer all these roles that aren't filled um by mm. females so much um what would you want to say to them? I well, it's all available and it is hard work because you've got to pick up a manual and get your head through it for anyone. It's hard. And I don't know why, but I just think guys do sometimes maybe have more of a knack for reading those things. I don't know why, like just the wiring. But And so it might cost us a little bit more to just get into that hard technical stuff, but it's super creative. Super and it pays creative. well, doesn't it? It pays well. And I just think as women, we have got very differently wired brains. We've got like, um, we're really detailed. And so the production... I just, I don't know, sometimes it can be different when a female composer and a, a producer and a male one. Um, and I just think we need both because the guy will produce one way and mm. um, and girls are just so incredibly creative. I mean, look at them with everything. Are there more females doing what you're doing now from when you started? Do you know of more? I, yeah, a few more. Not loads. The percentage is still really down, but there is a, yeah, there's a few more. I think I, I know about maybe, f- yeah. It's getting there. <laughs> so, um, obviously, this is your job and what you do for a job, but it's still incredibly creative. But I know you've had various creative outlets, which I'd love to speak to you about now. But before we talk about you as an artist and that journey, because I know that was a whole new chapter of your mm-hmm. life, you have put out two piano albums, is that right? Uh, I think it's just one. One piano album. One under, under that. Yeah, I need to get to that one. <laughs> so where, um, what made you want to do that? Because that wasn't necessarily in terms of, you know, the kind of ad work and film yeah. work. Just tell us about the journey to wanting that outlet and what that meant to you. Yeah, I remember that really specifically because it was after doing years of the ad work. And it, and it is stressful because they give you about 24 hours, sometimes six hours to write. Six hours? Sometimes, yeah, I had like an orchestral track to write for is it NBC. Is that the basketball? Yes. Yeah, NBC um, 60 second advert and a really intense orchestral and they gave me six hours. I was like, ugh. So it's intense. 
and must be such a good exercise in switching on creativity like you you obviously can't go oh well I'm not feeling creative today you have to turn it on is that a skill you can learn from practice definitely I think there's no such thing as writer's block when you've got a timeline (laughs) you can't because well first of all the picture does give you a lot of inspiration but there's just so many tools that we've got to push out of writer's block or yeah actually I always emotionally before I start an advert because I'm like how the heck does this come out of nothing in six hours? Ah, and I'm on my own, I don't have a team to bounce off on. And there's a whole table full of people that are waiting for this to arrive and they're meant to love it. And if they don't, then I lose my job. Gosh, All of that stuff intense. goes on. So, so I, even though you've done it for so long, each time you feel, I'm not sure if I could time, do this. Every time I think it's a fluke. And I actually heard that from Thomas Newman, who's one of my favourite composers. He said every time he starts, he thinks the last one was a fluke. So Because it, it, it does feel a bit of a divine spiritual thing that it just falls out. And the only way it falls out is by, like, cracking the rock open. You've got to just, like, commit to it. You've got to sit down and say, OK, I'm with you, musical idea, wherever you are floating around. I'm just going to crack in. I'm going to push it this way. I'm going to use a bit of my head to say, OK, that scale sometimes makes people feel happy and they want a happy advert. So you apply things and you push it. And often it's horrible in the beginning. And then suddenly there's just a cracking moment where it's just like, there you go. Like, great, thanks. And then you run with that. You produce it. You so it's it like in. absolutely intensive songwriting. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it comes out. I remember, like the best, the most, the biggest earning advert I did came out in five minutes and I didn't put any effort into it. It just was like... I was in a really lucid, not lucid, uh, really loose state where I just didn't care about the thing. I was tired, and the agency rang me. I was like, "Ah, yeah, ukulele, hand claps, whistles, blah, melody, whatever." Sent it, and then that ended up, um, yeah, being the biggest earner. And you just never know. And the ones that you really push, just, oh, it's it's so unpredictable. But it all you have to do it. There's no. It's like. If you're a mum and you've got a kid, you just have to wake up. You just have to get on and do the work. And yeah. and with music, you just you have to have something submitted. And and it it makes for broad brushstrokes because you can't spend their time thinking and and doing lots of details. And there's something quite beautiful in the boldness of that as well. You get more, I think, more daring and more risky. So how has that affected when you songwrite for yourself or compose? So when you did your piano album yeah. and later on when you did your own music, did you? Did it feel weird to have this open page rather than a remit and a constriction of time yeah. and all of those things? Was that a challenge or was it freeing? Well, they were they were two really important moments for me, actually. Cause, so firstly, the piano album was because I'd, I'd been writing for a few years and it was so intense that I decided I've forgotten who I am. I've forgotten where this all started, which was me on a piano writing the stories in my head. And I thought, I really need to reconnect with that. And I was living in London at the time, so you can't afford too much time off. So I gave myself a month and I told my agencies and everything that I'm going to just take off a month. And so I decided I was going to write a full album of piano tracks from scratch, learn to somehow play them, record them, do the artwork and uh, release it. And so I wanted to do just like a project to just reconnect to old Vanessa. And so I, I wrote the stories in my head. And then I wrote the music to go with the stories and then the hardest bit was playing it because that bit is a bit harder for me. And then um, loved doing the artwork whilst I was listening to the mixes because it was just... You did your own artwork. Yeah, and I loved that bit because usually I'm always doing music and I can't listen to music because when you're doing music, you can't listen. And so I was doing it and I was able to listen to music whilst I was painting. I was like, oh. And the artwork... And it's a beautiful hand-drawing painting. I've still got yeah. my copy of your you? piano album. Yeah, I love uh-huh. it. Paintings well, on the piano? Paintings on piano. Paintings on piano. Yeah. Did you, could you already draw before that? Is that quite connected to your music? I get a, oh, I see it all connected. Music, if you're writing, if you're composing, it's all the same thing for me. It's all the same problem solving and beautiful outcome. 
But but it was it was a dream that I'd had during that time of writing of a flying pirate ship piano, of course. And <laughs> so I just I drew that and and really enjoyed that. And that just reconnected me to why I was doing what I was doing because I was getting in the rat race and the game of just jobness and how stressful it was. So I was like, oh, this is my this is my lifeblood. So that piano album rescued me back there. Um, and I managed it in the month, which I was really proud of. But actually, when I listen back to it, I'm obviously listening to it like, oh, God, that's such a hard mix. It's so But anyway. Just a quick reminder that we have a growing library of really useful videos on our YouTube page, including interviews with artists and music industry insiders sharing their experience and expertise. Search IMR on YouTube or visit our website www.iamindependent.co.uk. because you compose play lots of different instruments yeah. and um you're self-taught in everything aren't you you tend to just pick up an instrument if you want a sound and learn it which again yeah. you seem to think is normal i think <laughs> it's utterly weird not everyone can do that it's just like it's an instrument like it's a different like you've got a kazoo on your mouth and you blow it the same it's just i tell it it's just you you just it's all about ears and following your ears and your curiosity and if you can't figure out how to play it then you just blow it and pluck it and do it until it sounds right so i don't play the instruments right like there's a colombian tea play that i bought when i was out there which is a instrument that's got it's got four notes but each note has got three strings and if you ask a colombian to play it they'll play the traditional music and it's a really hard sound but i don't really like that sound but i love the instrument and so i played it with a sock one time because if you play it with a sock really high up, it's the most celestial, beautiful sound. And so I create pads out of that. And so I'm not playing it the way it should be, but it's a sound. It's just an instrument and it's like a voice. You can do that. You can do that. It's just, it's just an intention behind it. So you're very it. playful with instruments yeah. to just get yeah, the sounds just out. keep it as a sound thing. And, and if you just bash it in all different routes, maybe you don't even play the strings. Maybe you hit the side and it's suddenly the best drum in the world. Especially when you put it through that mic and put an EQ on it, then you're like, oh my gosh. Just I, I do get so bored at the drums, bass, guitar setup. And so when someone... Um, and so for the, the singer-songwriter album that I did afterwards, I decided to ban all Western instruments, but yet I was still writing kind of Western songs. So no drum kit, no bass, no, uh, no electric guitar and stuff. Because it's just more fun to find those tones that I do think you need in a song. You know, you need a bit of bass end, you need a bit of the top end, you need some harmony in the middle. But finding those in other things creatively is just fun. It's just a playroom. It's I not being that. so serious about yeah. it. Just um, <laughs> so I want to talk a bit about how you started as Vanessa Ferrero, the artist, because that was really stepping out of your comfort zone, wasn't it? It's quite a story how it came about, and you literally learned piano and and guitar, didn't you, before, and you'd never sung before, despite being a successful musician. It was a whole new way, uh, a new territory you put yourself out there as a performer, wasn't it? So just tell us a little bit about that journey how it came about and and how it's been since for me that was just it was life-changing that that record and deciding to do that changed my life and you knew me in that you knew the Vanessa as composer pianist like the the behind the scenes pianist and then suddenly singing you're like what do you sing like no but I just tried it (laughs) and it it started because uh, I entered a female composers competition and then got there and it was nothing to do with composition it was uh, singer songwriters that you sing and you play your instrument 
was like, oh. So I actually went and just played my SoundCloud from a composer thing, and, and it was Beth Orton that was leading the group. And she's like, uh, yeah, it's more like songs that we're looking for, so can you sing something? I was like, oh, my gosh. Little did you know, my biggest fear in my whole life is singing. So speaking cost like was really difficult for me as a kid, but singing just... Oh, I, I failed those parts in my oral exams in the piano theory because I wouldn't open my mouth to move my voice and sing. And I was in, I think you met me when I was in the band Starling, where I, uh, I wrote the songs with the frontman Dan. And he got me to do, he wanted me to do backing vocals. And I just used to cry before it and not really sing to the point that they had to have BVs on backing track because they knew I wouldn't sing down the mic. It just, I couldn't do it. Um, and then I was there in this group of, I think there's 12 girls and Beth Orton and they're all looking at me and... And I'd hidden for the whole hour of everyone playing their songs behind a pillar. <laughs> and she was like, we've only had nine. Where's the tenth girl? And I was like, she's hiding behind the pillar. I was like, hi, 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 I'm Vanessa. <laughs> I'm just a composer. I'm just going to hit play. And then she just didn't let me get away. And so I sang this little melody, wordless melody that I had and a few guitar chords that I had. And she was just super encouraging and just said, I really need to do that more. I need to sing more. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to take the plunge and give it a go and face my biggest fear, which was filled with nausea, tears, crying, judgment, all kinds of things. And I somehow managed to get on stage and sing one of the first songs I wrote in that seminar. And it just made me think like, wow, there's a whole other avenue of music ahead. And I came here to carry on my composition lane, but I've just been exposed to a whole other lane and I think I'm going to keep exploring it. And the more I kept exploring it, the more I realised I didn't know myself because it's like you said, I've been, I've had years of people giving me a brief of saying, this is the type of music you write. And I go and colour in the box and that's easy. And when it came to me being the box writer on the outside of being like, well, what disc do you want to make? What songs do you want to record? I'm like, who am I? Nobody's given me a brief. I'm not doing it for any reason other than self-exploration. And... And then that that woke me up to so many other things. Like, I, I didn't actually know much about myself. Like, when I went shopping, I didn't know how to pick an outfit. I didn't know who I was. It was also confused. My wardrobe was confused. Who I was was just like, I think I like that. I, I don't know. I was going off everyone else's opinions, as you know very well, because <laughs> I was journeying that as a personal thing. Like, I was just listening to so many other people's voices, and I just didn't know what my own brief was. I was never my own director. So I decided to make the project of make a soundtrack for you for just who you are your essence and so I started with my roots I'm like well I'm half English half Colombian and so I decided to use only Colombian instruments but sing in English um and then I'm like well I'm a bit a bit wild and rascally but I'm also you've got this side of me and I've got this and so I represented I made my own I made my own film and like I did with the piano songs making my own stories and doing the music I made myself a story and then I I wrote it out and by the end of the record and I'd, I'd, I'd done the first rough mix of one of the tracks. I just cried because I, I don't care if anyone likes it, but it just sounded like me. And I was like, I, I don't even know what it is. I, I, is it folk? Is it a bit tribal? Is it? I don't know, but it's me. And it sounds like me. And, and that was your first EP from the uproar, which was, I love yeah. the name because it was everything you were going through personally, spiritually, musically. Exactly. And it, it's still one of my favourite things to listen to. Oh, that is <laughs> I just, yeah, for me, it was just a, a lifesaver. And, and the, yeah, the title from the uproar didn't realise how the intention of discovering myself would just throw everything out. And, and as you know, my life just completely changed. Um, and I went under a different name because I thought my composer name is that and I want to be someone else and then I ended up becoming that person and realizing that is totally me and I just feel so congruent in myself and you know walking around with a little 
little poncho around London with people wearing Adidas or whatever. And I do feel, uh, yeah, you got your Adidas. <laughs> poncho and you've got your poncho. I've got my poncho. <laughs> and so, yeah, it just it's just given me so much con- uh, strength in myself, and and I can now go shopping and know what I like, and and everything is coherent. Um, I think that's the thing. I feel I feel integrated and coherent, and it is down to that discover that little journey that I did of trying to find out, out who I was sonically. Mm-hmm. then played it back to me and then I was like oh that's my mirror because I suppose I have always been sonically based so that just reflected back to me who I was and now yeah I'm a whole other person because of it <laughs> it's just a disc it's just an EP it changed my life for me and well, I, don't... I think music changes people like people's lives and we forget that that starts with the uh the life change of of the artist and the yeah. composer and being brave and vulnerable enough to share that yeah. um after that journey, I mean, you weren't sure if that was going to be a one-off um, project and just yeah, to kind of write some passage and experiment. Mm. Um, you discovered this whole side of yourself, like you're an amazing songwriter, which in a way goes without saying because you're a composer, but not necessarily because these were so personal. It's so different, isn't it, when you're writing for yourself yeah. and your own journey. Um, but just tell us a little bit about the more recent years and what led to you spending the year in Colombia um what effect that's had on you as a person as an artist in your journey as an artist and the kind of music um that that's inspired or well obviously finishing the disc I I thought I was finished because I thought great I have found my own path put it out there and then I was like oh but what I think I might have to play them live and that's like the next level of just being me and and that really scared me, but I always think that that's the next door to yourself. If you find a bit of fear, I get quite excited in it now, actually, because I'm like, oh, great, there's more Vanessa at the other side of that wall, so let's do that. So I faced the fear, oh, so hard, and I had so many friends saying, why are you doing it? You obviously don't like it. I'm like, I just, I know there's more me behind it. I'm going to keep doing it. So the more I keep kept doing that, um, I just got really into this whole singer-songwriter side of life. It was more communal than the solitary composer job that I'd done for so long. Get to collaborate. I mean, I have to, if you don't mind me saying this, mm-hmm. remember when you were absolutely terrified to sing, but you would do it anyway, you would go to open mic nights and your voice would shake. Yeah. And <laughs> then, yeah. on another level. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I mean, I know because obviously you've only just got back from being a year away in Colombia, but the last time I saw you perform and sing... I just remember so clearly thinking, oh my gosh, this is the same girl whose voice would check. You had this strong voice, you know your voice, you've got such a, a beautiful kind of ethereal voice, actually. And I was just like, wow, that's amazing, because many people would have given up, but yeah. you kind of just don't do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but what was it like even discovering your singing voice? Oh, that That is the next level as well. So the, the produ- producing in my own sound on disc and, and, and recordings is something, but producing your own sound in your own body is is been amazing. And... I mean, let alone it just being like a stress reliever and enjoyment thing. Just like, we all have a sound, we can all sing. And and honestly, I did not sing before. And I remember moving the sound around my head to try and find the resonance spot. Like I do with my instruments. If I pick up a first instrument, I'll find its resonance spot. And so I thought, oh, I'm an instrument. Look, I've got like something that makes a sound here. So I just was like, and like moving sound until I found like a, like something that resonated. And so I, I felt like I, I cracked my own personal resonant tone, which is only out of my body. And, it's own, and, and I, I didn't grow up listening to singers, so I don't really know much about singing or, or copying other people's styles, which I think actually probably helped me in the end because yeah. I had nothing to go on. I wasn't imitating other singers. I was just going off my own body. And then the, 
and yeah, like like you saw, just open mics when your body shakes I, and your voice is connected. I just thought, I don't know how I'm going to crack this for you. And it was a long time, wasn't it? Was it a year, I think, of just fully shaking and well, fully embarrassing. Well, you say a long time. Sometimes people have been singing for years. Oh. It actually was incredibly quick that you learned to not just get by on a guitar, but be an amazing guitarist and an amazing vocalist. And like, well, it's taken me a whole year. <laughs> What people will be like? What you didn't sing a year ago? You didn't play the guitar? You go, no, it's taken me a year. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's not normal. <laughs> I was really, I was very hard on myself. You did help me be a bit more like, no, you could. Uh, you guys were amazing in the crowd. I would always come off the the crowd like, oh, I just can't sing because the nerves are there. But you would so encourage me, and and then just little by little, keeping on going. Um, it is just a confidence thing, and then suddenly, do you know what I did do? I would record myself the best version I could do in my house and then I would learn how I would sound in my most confident and best self and try and learn myself off my best self <laughs> which is really weird so that actually helped me a lot so recording myself when my voice was a bit you know and I'd listen back to it and go oh god that's not your best self and the times I found a pocket of confidence after hours and candles and incense in my own dark studio and then I'd be like ah that's how I sound when I'm confident would record it and then I just listened to it so I could rise up to my own bar and so that's that actually cool. yeah that really helped me actually and then I remember then getting in front of this microphone with the information that you know what you sound like when you're nervous you've heard it it's not good the only time you sound good is when you really belt it and go for it and so I connected more and more to that it took me time but eventually I was just like if this note comes out flat it doesn't matter because the tone is better when I just go Lah! so I went on I just yeah, bit by bit kept learning and now um, I just really enjoy making a sound um, and and it, communicating some kind of emotion with that and communicating a brand new melody and it's just fun. Mm-hmm. So I got there in the end. <laughs> and I know part of your um, going to Colombia, which was going to be a two-week break, can yeah, tell that's been a, a month. <laughs> a month. House swap. <laughs> and uh, partly that was personal exploration but there was a musical element there I know you wanted to specifically um get some Colombian instruments and things just tell us a bit about how that and why that turned into a year and what that's taught you and shown you about you as an artist and your your next steps perhaps in your musical journey well um Colombia's always had an influence on me just just the instruments are so wild and raw and and it's just something different and so I think just before I went to Colombia I was finishing off the record that's about to come out now called Fuego, which is fire, and that is a bit more wild and tribal and a bit more energetic on the Colombian side. And so I thought that my personal artistic journey was going to keep going down more and more, I don't know, indigenous tribal wildcat stuff with with that stuff. And I was like, yeah, I can totally see where I'm going. Great. So when my friend rang me from Colombia, who's English, but has been living there for 25 years, and he said, do you want to do a house swap? And, you know, we can just take it as like a month and I need to concentrate on writing something. Maybe you can go in my flat and concentrate on writing your things. I thought, oh, great, yeah. I can then go out and collect more Colombian musical inspiration and then write the, the third disco when I come back for that. So managed to finish the second disc at home, literally the day of the flight. I was like finishing the last take of the vocal recordings, put it on my hard drive and then took it to Colombia with me to do the mix and everything. Um, so... Yeah, went and did the house swap, which was a month. Managed to do the mix in that month, and I was really happy with it. And then I'd started having enough time to kind of listen to new music and try to pick up new ideas. Um, and I weirdly lived next door to a theatre in Colombia, where there, were, there was like a load of 
tribal drums, well, like bombos and allegory drums, all the tantrums they got that out there. And I was really called in by it. And, and I just thought, that's so powerful. It's just drums and vocals. And so I ran out of the house and then went into the, the theatre, paid my little £1.50 ticket. And it was women, mothers, that had lost their kids because there's so much kidnappings in Colombia and they'd never found them since. And my mum was also one of those. My mum was kidnapped and never found. But I'd never thought of it from the perspective of the mums. And this was a theatre show of five mums who were all singing their grief out on these hand drums, just voices and drums, just going, ah! And I was just crying my eyes out in the audience. A lot of people were crying, it was so moving, but I was just connecting to my mother's side and never thought, how must my grandma have felt to have lost my mum and never found her? Um, and I just connected to that pain and I got straight home and I started writing songs, um, like, like, where are you? Just like shouting, just like that, that unsettling thing that you can never settle if you don't know where your kid is. So a lot of the stuff came out there, just drums and vocals. And so when when my friend came back, this housework friend, he's actually a producer in Colombia and he's fairly well known there and he's had some hits and everything. And we both thought, we've been friends for years. We're both musicians. We should do something together. And I thought, oh, great. Maybe the Colombian music can take a next level with him. And so we started exploring those songs and, and that was all going well. And he's called Richard Blair and he's, he's my friend Richard. He said... I don't feel there's something else, Vanessa, you need to do before this. There's, there's another authentic you that you're not showing me. And he's very good at seeing really clearly. I was like, no, no, I, this is the way I want to go. This is my artist side. I want to keep going down this brand that I'd created for myself. I didn't see the danger of that because I thought, right, I've created me, you know, Poncho, Vanessa, girl, all of that, whatever. We're going to keep writing this Colombian indigenous music. This is not my brand. And um, he was like, no, your soul isn't there right now. And I was like, no, but you're a Colombian producer. I'm in Colombia. I have these Colombian instruments. I am going to write more Colombian music. And he just would, he wouldn't let me. And we went through this journey of meeting together lots and trying different rhythms and all of that. And he said, I want to know what you really do when you're relaxing. What do you do with that guitar? I was like, I just noodle little folk songs, nothing, you know, typical stuff that everyone does. And he said, I want to hear that. And he did. And then he started crying at one of the songs. He's like, I can see you. There you are. We're going to do that. And I was so rebellious. I was like, no, because I'm in Colombia. I don't want to be writing English songs on a guitar. That's just what everyone does. And he's like, but not everyone's going to do it like you do it. Mm-hmm. So actually that whole year turned into me being more English. So I think when I'm in England, I'm more Colombian. And when I'm in Colombia, I'm more English. But also sounds like confirmed who you are as an artist. Cause it's almost going back to what you discovered on that first EP. Yeah, it is. And it's also... It just made me aware of don't get stuck in your own brand. Like, I was really excited that I found Your own niche, idea of who you My own idea, right. yeah, because it wasn't fully me. And actually, I am still Vanessa the Piano Girl, and I'm still me that loves Nick Drake and old artists, like old folkloric artists like that. And and that was what I'm resonating at right now. And maybe in a few years' time, I'll go back to those drum vocal songs. But Richard was totally right that I was pushing that for the brand, and I didn't realise I was. And it is when he said, just like, who are you when you're just back at home and you're just enjoying yourself and just... This... And, and actually, so when I finished writing those songs, I did perform them around Colombia a little bit. And uh, and I, I fit in some of the Colombian songs as well. And the, the ones that really stuck with people were these English ones, because they said, that just sounds so you right now. 
And I'm going to say right now because I'll change again because I keep doing that, don't I? <laughs> We're not one thing. We're like everything and nothing at the same time. So right now, those songs have got the life and the fire on them. And when I do those, I love singing them more than the other ones. People seem to really like them. There's nothing big about them. I'm not going to have like a hundred. Like this last album was about 150 instruments per track. And there was like a whole orchestra of drums and different Colombian instruments. This one's just going to be acoustic and vocal. And it's just what it is right now. And then maybe the next one will be something... Just, I do want to follow on from what you've said, but just because, while well, I think of it, if you just said that, is it hard for you, because you compose and in essence are a producer, mm. is it hard for you to let anybody else near your own tracks? Because you are so used to composing whole pieces yeah. um, to get somebody else to do any kind of production, because you've pretty oh, much geez. self-produced really, haven't you? Yeah, but for me, I find that part of it also, composition, production, it's all my voice. And if I was to work with someone else, it would be a different project. But the reason I'm doing this is to explore myself and to put my most authentic offering to the world out, which is all me. I know someone else could produce things way better, but sometimes in my errors, I produce a brand new sound. So I'm, I'm for now... Would you never work with another... Uh, oh, would no, you never would let someone do. produce you? I would do, but probably maybe for a different... I don't know if... Oh, I don't know. Would I go into a different name? No, I would do. I think I'm still early days and I'm still going to walk on my own feet and I want to establish my sound and I feel like if I work with another producer just with where my background and with how much I do listen to other people's opinions and I know I shouldn't but I'm sensitive that way I'm like an anebra I'm like okay I feel like right now I need to reinforce my sound completely like producing everything and and down to the mix I'll be really specific on things as well so for me practically that's incredible isn't it because it means you don't have to wait for a producer you don't have to pay a producer you play all your instruments yeah. you're the artist you do your artwork yeah it's you can do it all yourself so actually you can save a lot of money uh, you can work yeah. to your own time schedule for that so there's lots of um plus points to doing it that way yeah. um I guess there's the idea of somebody else bringing something in but in fact what yeah. you're saying is you kind of want to protect your music from other people's influence Just at this time bit. anyway eventually yeah. I would absolutely love that because it's really hard producing it takes a lot of time and I get really obsessive um, so I would love that, but I'm still trying to find my sound, and I think this is my best way, personally, to explore that. To do you enjoy producing other people's music? I don't actually like producing that much. No, <laughs> it's a job. And so it, with with the advert music, the, the film music, I I love writing the melodies and the harmony. Uh, and I love thinking of the sounds, but to actually sit there and find that synth sound and tweak the EQ till it's right, oh, it's hard work. It takes a long time, especially drum loops, and oh, because they sound so bad if you don't really put the work into it and just making them perfect. I'm just really perfectionistic, and it just takes me a long time. So it does feel like work for me, and I only do it for myself because it's, um, for me, it's part of the composition, and mm. I will tweak a drum sound, and then suddenly that will create a new track because it's strong enough or something. So it's all meshed for me. But for someone else, I will if they pay me. <laughs> Don't do it for fun, though. Yeah. So I have done string orchestral string arrangements for other people, um, but I've never produced someone else's record because it's still new for me producing a song record. Producing... Oh, hello, dishwasher. <laughs> uh, producing instrumental music. Yeah, that's that's different, but it's just it's a job. And I've, I've now learned to accept it as that. Like That's the job music, and then this is my self-exploratory music. And I guess um, just on a practical level, I, I, there could be lots of artists thinking, oh, I'd love to go to Columbia or go somewhere for a year and you know explore my art, explore myself. But the great thing is, obviously, because of your job as a composer, you can literally do that with a small amount of equipment you packed with you, didn't you? And you could do that yeah. from anywhere in the world. So, so your your job kind of funds your 
your artistry sideline. Exactly. I am just so blessed and I didn't even try. It just somehow landed there. And I know Oprah Winfrey talks about the flow, that when you find your flow, that the universe comes and assists you and helps you. And and it, I just feel like that, that the minute I took a risk um, and ridiculous financial risks, which uh, I know is, is, is a bit risky, but the minute I did it and just stepped out and, and kept pushing into the fear, I just felt things helped me out. And I'm just so grateful because I think the... Uh, oh, so like I'm, I'm working on an advert now but when I was in Colombia the last advert I worked on was on the way to the jungle doing a road trip uh, and I got a call and I think it was like an Australian electrical company or something that had a story of a little boy that was moving house and traumatised and, and they had a light switch and I don't know all of that and so they wanted sentimental piano music and I thought well that's easy um, so I did it on my laptop in the piano with very bare minimal tools I've just got a little hard drive my laptop and then a tiny keyboard, and I, I wrote that on the way to the jungle. Obviously no not much Wi-Fi, but I found a laundrette and sent it there, and they have no idea, and now it's playing in Australia, and they have no idea that this composer, going on an off-grid road trip, had just written this sentimental, very Western piano music on the way to the Amazon. I love that. <laughs> so, yeah, there was times like that. I've written in hotel rooms many times, um, and yeah. Obviously, it's nice being back in your home studio. The computer runs faster. You've got more sounds. But it's very much for you. So the composing, the ad work, the film composing, even even though you enjoy it, that's your job. I've now settled on that. Yeah. At first, I was trying to... Before the singer-songwriter EP, I was thinking that was my music. And that's where I got really caught up because obviously my music doesn't come from a director saying that. But now I've... I've yeah, I've been like, that's a job. So it doesn't take the energy of like, oh, I did a bad track. I don't want to write this type of music that's for nappies or whatever. It's like, no, I'm now super grateful. that That's the job. So now that you're Vanessa Ferrero, the artist, for you, is that like a necessary outlet for you to feel yeah. whole and like you've got all your, an outlet for all of your creativity? Definitely. Vanessa James helps Vanessa Ferrero live. So Vanessa James is my composer side. And uh, it's like... I, it's like a funding form for an, every job is like a funding form so you're you're doing the hours you do the work you do the effort you do the horrible funding form to live and so mine I'm just really grateful that it's still in production and in music but it is still really hard and really intense and it does cost me a lot um so Vanessa James gets on with that and then when the royalties come in then that helps Vanessa Ferrero think oh I might like uh, hire a musician or I might go on tour or I might make a new disc which is costly these days with videos and everything so yeah one helps the other and and I put my music in experiences and and creating art more than shoes or houses oh I really need to think of that because I am I need to think of I don't know roots roots I need some roots I think (laughs) but for now the music just goes on my art um, and experience and exploration so yeah one helps the other out and and most of your life experiences certainly in recent years have given you fantastic fuel and stories for your songs haven't they I mean you're such a great storyteller Mm. through your songs and uh, Fuego has got its own theme but I guess from this latest adventure there could be a project that comes out of of that that's as you process it yeah I I was again never raised on songs it was only instrumental music so lyrics is just a whole new realm for me so I think on that last disc I I started by writing quite in a montage lyric way where I was like, oh, I like that phrase. It means something to me. It won't mean anything to anyone. I'm going to put it there. I'm going to put it next to something else that means something completely different. So I went on sound because I'm sound based and it's all about melody. And if a melody, if a vowel sound opened up better on a melody, I would change the word for that and it might not mean anything. So that's where I've started. 
on the second disc, I tried to write a bit more intentionally about something because I realised when I then started playing them live and I couldn't connect to the lyrics of the songs, I was like, oh, there is a power in actually having <laughs> a personal experience in the lyric that you sing rather than it being just a chopping of different things. So this this record, because of the last record, had brought so much uproar and so much hardness. I had had a lot of material and things to write about, which was maybe why it's called Fuego, because it's a bit more fiery, and I was maybe getting my strength back, and I was going like, this is me now, I'm more mature, I'm here! <laughs> that kind of a... Uh, and so there is a lot of wrestling of different topics and things, um, and a lot of exploration of me as a woman as well, and growing up in so many areas. So, yeah, that lyric has been a bit more... And, and then the, the lyrics from Colombia, definitely, yeah. A lot of people are looking at my Instagram thinking, wow, she's had an amazing, life-changing year in Colombia. I was like, I've had the hardest, darkest times there as well. But I'm hopefully, I mean, I've just come back off the plane and, and as you know, I'm still a little bit like, ouch, ouch, ouch. <laughs> but yeah. I am I know that in a few days, few weeks, I'm going to be slowly picking that up and that's going to turn into my gold. Right now, I'm still like not eating because my stomach is full of like emotions <laughs> and stress. But that's going to turn into something great. And the, and the lyric will probably assist that and tell the story of that in due time. Right now, I just want a cream cake. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love hearing you talk about music. And oh. I think you're one of the truest artists I know. <laughs> um, so obviously, Fuego is imminent. Where can we Close. follow you and just make sure that we know when that's going to come out and, and yeah. check it out? Because I think many people could be eager to hear this oh. now, hearing your story. Well, I'm very excited. It's coming very soon. I've got it ready. As soon as the cover art is coming in from Mark Akira, who's brilliant, I, uh, I'm gonna, it's going to be uploaded to Spotify. It's all ready to go. And we recorded a music video in the Tatacoa, Colombian desert, which is very cool. So that is going to come so soon. So yeah, please keep an eye. There's a, a Vanessa Ferrero music. It's Ferrero like Ferrero Rocher, but spelled F. O-R-E-R-O and it's you know, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, wherever. Oh, I hate doing that side of stuff. You know? <laughs> but yeah, uh, Google that and I'll be somewhere around there. <laughs> well, I have to do a part two where we talk about all the parts of being an artist that you well, you've already talked about it, but you, there's a lot of it that you bulk at, isn't it, and don't like. But you oh, seem to have done that, that with music on your whole journey. You're just like, I don't want to do it that way. Why do we do it that way? I'm going to do it this way. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to work. Oh, I know, but I do realise that social media is very important stuff. So, yeah, sometimes I just take massive chunks of breaks out. But no, it's good. We should all be... Well, I, the, the only bit where we've disagreed on in the past, I just want as many people as possible to hear your music because it is amazing and sometimes that's the vehicle for people to discover it. It's so true. So, yes, do go check out Vanessa Ferrero Music. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thanks for having me. Thanks for everyone listening. And don't forget to sign up to our mailing list where you'll receive a free 10-day guide especially designed to inspire and equip independent music artists with some really useful, practical and inspirational resources. Sign up at www.iamindependent.co.uk For more great content from I Am Independent, find us on social media at We Are Independent Artists. Check out our Spotify playlist for new music from independent artists. Search We Love Independent Music. Music